Thanks for joining us, everyone. So excited to have you with us today. Uh, we have a special guest, Rebecca Clyde, who is the co-founder of Botco.ai. With us today, we talk leadership, finding a co-founder, AI, life as a founder, growth of a company, and so much more. She is smart, she's savvy, and she definitely knows her stuff when it comes to digital marketing. She led a digital marketing agency that has been around for 18 years. She was the founder of that. And she was the co-managing director for Girls in Tech uh, Phoenix for three years. She's been an advocate for women advancing their career in technology. Uh, she's making waves and her company is doing great things all about AI. So let's hear what she has to say and let's hear about her journey. Rebecca, we are so excited to have you today on our podcast, and um, it's been a long time coming. I know that we spoke a while back, so I'm excited to um, hear about your journey and talk about AI and all the fun things that are going on in your world and uh, with your company. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me here, Brooke. It's always good to see you again and share uh, some stories with you. <laughs> yeah, super exciting. So you are a co-founder of botco.ai. I shouldn't leave out the .ai. Mm -hmm. And you've done quite a bit of uh, cool stuff in your background or in your um, work career, shall we say. Uh, so talk to us about how you became a founder and how you got to Botco and where you are now. Wonderful. Well, you know, at this particular company almost happened, uh, I would say, serendipitously. <laughs> I, I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't go out to, I didn't start Botco AI because I was looking for a company to start, really. Um, what happened was I met someone really interesting. I was at a girls in tech event and I was my company for my previous business that I had started. I was there as a sponsor and I was there recruiting talent. Mm -hmm. And, um, I happened to meet one of the speakers. She had just presented on fundraising. She was a serial entrepreneur from the Bay area that was at the event as a presenter. And as she got off the stage, she realized her phone was dead. And I happened to be, you know, at this uh, table at this recruiting booth, essentially with a charger. And so she opportunistically just came up to me and started talking to me because she needed my charger. Right. <laughs> and so, but the thing is that happens is uh, when you charge a phone, you know, you're kind of stuck talking to each other for a little while. Right. Because right. It's at least a minimum, a 10 to 15 minute process, at least the old phones where now they charge much faster. And uh, she was a super interesting person, a new Shukla. And it turns out that a new, uh, it was a, you know, very successful entrepreneur from the Bay Area. She um, and I both had a similar background in terms of working in the marketing automation space. She and I obviously had a lot to talk about because we had been in a similar industry. We had, we saw the world from a similar lens in that standpoint. Yeah. And we kicked off a conversation saying, you know, it's really interesting. These products have not really advanced. They're stuck in the 2000s, in the early 2000s. They're just incrementally getting better, but they're not really keeping up with the like on-demand, real-time expectations that customers now have. And uh, so, you know, we were starting to just brainstorm this idea of something better. And I had said, well, you know, I went to these companies and told them, I keep giving them feature requests for these things and they don't do it. And she laughed. She's like, no, 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 no. That's not how it's done. You start a company if you see a problem. <laughs> I just you don't submit a feature request. 
<laughs> ah, that's funny. I just have to note, Anu was my very first yes. guest on this podcast. So uh, she's fantastic. So she I know. is. She is. Yeah, and I was like, awesome. oh, okay. So she's, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's how it's done. You just start the, the product, create the product that the world needs. You don't go and ask for it, of course. <laughs> You don't give away your juice, right? <laughs> exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Okay. And then it just kind of went from there. Well, we, uh, she had, uh, she brought, of course, her co-founder, Chris uh, Maida from the previous company who had a, a lot of experience building customer engagement products. Um, he had actually just returned from a long trip to Asia where he had seen WeChat and these, you know, chat-based products being used very widely and, you know, his thought process was like, hey, we should be using AI and more conversational interactions as part of this real-time on-demand marketing automation experience. And so with Chris's help, you know, he has a PhD from Carnegie Mellon and MIT um, as a computer scientist. And so he had the uh, really strong architectural experience to build the, the product and create the vision uh, that we were talking about. That's awesome. Okay. One thing that you mentioned that I just want to bring up is the girls in tech um, program. So can you yeah. tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So girls in tech is an organization that exists to help advance women in technology. So, you know, um, a lot of times these uh, organizations are focused on trying to remove barriers from advancement. So first of all, there's barriers socially where, you know, a lot of times in schools and in and the younger years, girls are kind of discouraged from pursuing, mm -hmm. um, or at least were for a long time. Now I think we're trying to like overcome that. But for many years, girls were kind of steered towards certain professions um, that were more, you know, service oriented <laughs> and right. less technological. And so girls in tech really seeks to help women move into those careers and then advance them once they're in those mm -hmm. careers. Because even though a lot of uh, women are graduating as engineers or entering the field of technology, if they enter the workforce and they're not supported by their organization, if their entire team is comprised of, um, you know, young men or people who are very homogenous and different than they are. Um, sometimes it's hard to find a, a home there. Sometimes it's hard to advance yeah. and to get the support and the sponsorship that they need to really ascend to higher levels of leadership. And so girls in tech exist to be that, um, I would say support system, that encouraging, um, organization, networking group, um, to open those doors and to make sure that women, as they progress through those careers, are able to find success and support. Interesting. Are you still involved? Well, you no longer are the managing director, but is that still in existence today? Oh, yes, absolutely. So I helped start the Phoenix chapter here. Mm -hmm. um, it's a it's an international organization that's actually started by Adriana Gascon. Um, if you want to interview her sometime, she's a really interesting person as well. And um, the chapter here is flourishing. We were one of the more, I would say at the time, um, active chapters in terms of programming, events, sponsorship. You know, one of the things that we instituted that I was really proud of was a scholarship program to help uh, women from underserved communities um, complete their software programming education so they could enter uh, the field of software development. And that program continues. In fact, the other day I ran into one of the um, board members and she was very excited to tell me that the scholarship program is alive and well, Rebecca, you'll be happy to hear that we're uh -huh. still growing that and more and more women are um, entering the ranks of uh, software. And so I'm, I'm really happy to see that, of course. That's fantastic. Uh, I've got a couple of guests that have been on the show that I think would be great value to that organization. So uh, good to know. I will. Yes, absolutely. Thank them. you. Yeah. So where are you at? in the life of the company? So we are a seed stage company, ready, uh, getting ready to turn that corner into a series A. So still early stage as far as uh, businesses go. Okay. And have you raised seed funding then? Correct. Yes, we okay. have. Did you do that with angels or did you do that with VC? I mean, I know Anu is very connected in the, in the and she's an investor herself, right? So tell us about that. 
experience. Correct. Yeah. So we started, you know, like a lot of these, it's a, it's a step stepping stone process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our very first, uh, our very first, uh, funding was really from ourselves as the founders. We bootstrapped the initial development of the product. And then, uh, the second source of funding we received was actually through a grant. So Arizona, where I'm based has every year, they put on this innovation challenge, they call it. And we uh, applied for that grant and were successful in receiving it. So we received $150,000 from the state of Arizona. Yes. And it was interesting. Like as soon as we got that grant, um, I was able to then start getting interest from a lot of investors, more angel type of investors. (laughs) And exactly who saw, oh, look. It's like an struggle, I tell you. Yeah. It's, ugh. (laughs) Once you get that validation initially, it helps, right? Yeah. And, you know, the the Innovation Challenge, the Arizona Innovation Challenge is a very competitive and very um, highly sought after prize here. And people know, like, if you get that grant, you've gone already through the ringer of, you know, making sure your business is sound, your product really has potential. Really smart people were on that committee in terms of choosing the winners, and so that helps make angels a little bit more confident. Okay, there's something here that will actually right. materialize, right? Establish in those credit. early okay. days. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so then from there, uh, we raised funding from a lot of angels. So there's a few angel groups uh, here in Arizona that have been very supportive. Arizona Tech Investors, Desert Angels. And so those were some of our first few angels, plus a couple of other uh, individual angel investors. And then after that, I applied to an accelerator called Alchemist Accelerator in San Francisco. Mm. And I was Mm -hmm. admitted there. An accelerator really focused on enterprise technology companies. So it's not as, it's a much smaller organization. They focus on 25 to 30 companies in each cohort. And all of us are B2B companies, which I really appreciate because I've been part of other accelerator programs that were just like a hodgepodge of consumer, enterprise, you know, biotech. And it's just really hard to get good guidance when sometimes the guidance that they're giving or the suggestions they're offering have nothing to do with my line of business right? right. Um, or are not applicable. And so, you know, there were a few times when I got advice and really after implementing it, I realized, wait, th- that was for a consumer tech company. <laughs> that had not, that, that would have never work. worked for me. Yeah, exactly. Or... <laughs> Right. So it's or just really helpful yeah. that it's like oriented around B2B, right? So then uh, all the mentors, the programming, the content, the um, advice is very directed at my type of business. And so that was really, really great. And of course, that network, Alchemist, opened up all these new doors uh, based on the people I was meeting through that program. Um, I met a lot of new investors. And so we were able to continue raising funding. Um, after demo day is when we ended up uh, raising our our seed round uh, successfully as well, and that's when VCs came in the door. So it was a little bit of like you know a grant, angel investors, uh, an accelerator, a couple more angels, and then the VCs. Right. So it didn't all happen yeah. like from day zero, just getting uh, VCs but in what, the door. What great experience, though. I mean, that's that's the best. Is so you don't have all your eggs in one basket. You know, like you've got. Um, some layers there, which I think is valuable personally, instead of just um, banking mm-hmm. it all in one VC and then getting <laughs> out of control of what your goal is, shall we say? Sometimes that happens. I know one founder that sold her company for millions and millions of dollars and got all of her funding through contests. She entered tons of pitch contests and she raised millions of dollars through that. I'm like, hats off to you. Cause that those contests take a lot of time. Yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, they really do. Prepping and whew, man, I don't miss those days. Um, that's awesome. Okay. So you're, do you, have you been building a team? Oh, for sure. Yes. Yeah. I, this is not a, a small job. So we have a, a, a team of 20 folks Oh, wow. uh, 20 really awesome uh, team members that are all involved in different aspects of building the product, delivering and supporting customers. Okay. So tell us exactly what the company does. And I know AI is a really, it's been a hot topic for a few years, but I fe- feel like it's getting more legs. I mean, like when I started my software company, we were doing AI work, but 
not to the degree of, I mean, now copywriting AI is out there, which is amazing. And so I'd love to hear what you're doing with. uh, Sure. Yeah. So uh, we like to say we're the generative AI chat cloud uh, from Botco AI. And what we're really helping is businesses engage their customers in real time with dynamic and personalized conversations. Mm. And so, um, you know, you don't have to answer like the general questions and then you just keep getting repeated back again oh that- no yes that's that's not a great experience <laughs> the never ending chat box i can oh it's so frustrating mm-hmm. <laughs> correct yes yeah, so we've introduced within our platform the ability to personalize uh, conversations based on perhaps your unique uh, circumstances or maybe what source of traffic that you came in from so if you for example opened an email and then that email was about checking your appointment and you click on it and you want to talk about your appointment or you want to reschedule it, we already know that. So we're not always starting from zero. And that's the idea is to like uh, reduce the friction, create a lot more of a rich and um, exciting interaction and do it all agentless so that people aren't waiting on hold so that folks are getting the information or the services that they need much more quickly. And businesses love it too, because it's a lot uh, more cost-effective for them um, yeah. versus staffing a giant call center that uh, nobody really enjoys working in and nobody really enjoys calling. So <laughs> <laughs> why are we still doing it? <laughs> Sometimes, though, you want to talk to a live person on occasion. like uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But, but for example, um, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of value add in, in most of the questions so that, you know, an AI can like ours can answer and support those requests. I mean, ultimately people call because they feel like their request is so complex that they need to talk to a person. Um, But sometimes those requests are quite straightforward. And if you think about what the person is actually doing on the other side, they're usually logging into a system and looking up something and then giving you an answer. But the truth is the AI can do that as well. Yeah. Um, Using APIs nowadays. Yeah. um, You know, those things can be automated and it can happen much faster than even a person can type. Yeah. So who do you primarily target? I know you do B2B, but do you, are you going after enterprise or is your platform for multiple sizes of companies? Like what's your um, target? Yes. Yeah. We really find that our product uh, is most helpful for larger organizations that are dealing with scale and volume. And so uh, we have found a lot of success, for example, in the health and wellness enterprise Um, organizations that have, you know, many thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of uh, customers that might be calling or might be trying to get a hold of them or might be trying to seek treatment or services from them. Um, So, for example, one of our earliest customers was a thousand location uh, wellness company that had uh, services offered all around the country. And so, um, you know, for them, it was a scaling problem, really, and creating consistency across thousands of locations to make sure that, you know, people received a prompt, accurate, friendly response and could do so in a really cost-effective fashion. So um, that's where we tend to, to really shine. That's great. That's great. So what would you say some of your, uh, I have twofold question. One is, what would you say your biggest challenges have been thus far from start from idea to where you are now? And how did you face those challenges or overcome those challenges? And number two is what would you say that you would attribute your success to along the way? Mm-hmm. Wow. So it's, it's always hard to think about what was the biggest challenge because Every challenge at the moment feels so big. Right, right, right. <laughs> when you're right. in it and you're like trying to get through it. And then after you're like, oh, you know, maybe we have a little bit of amnesia and we forget how hard. Right. That well, then you get another one. It. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then you forget all about the old one. It's like childbirth, right? They say, <laughs> well, I've had it three times and I kept doing it. I don't know why, but <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I forgot what a pain it is to be pregnant. Oh, my gosh. Why did I do that again? <laughs> I don't know how anybody forgets childbirth. (laughs) 
I'm telling you, it's collective envy. Just a, a similar situation with startups. You kind of forget how hard it was. Um, but I would say, you know, going from nothing. So having an idea is one thing, right? Having slides, having like a prototype, a really like basic prototype is one thing. But turning that into a commercial product that is now, uh, I would say, scalable and can pass the muster of a CIO and infosec and compliance and uh, that can support, you know, millions of interactions at the same time. Like that Delta is a big one, right? It's a huge one. Exactly. Yeah. Compliance. Right. So it's, it's the, the product has to work first of all, and then it has to be provisioned in a way that services a lot of people. And then it has to be, you know, hardened for security purposes. So there's just a really, um, you know, thousands, if not millions of steps they go between that idea to being able to successfully get implemented at a at a big organization yeah. that is going to have this very high bar for uh, reliability, for uh, you know service level agreements. You know they want all of those things really buttoned up. And so I would say, and it's hard to say that any one of those steps was particularly hard, but I would say taking the idea and getting it on paper first of all, and and creating the requirements and really getting the product to look and act in the way that you need it to so that it could be accepted by the user and by the customer. That in itself is a major undertaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that was probably like passing our first, I remember passing our first InfoSec IT review it took us like six months because it just was, you know, question after question and every question they would ask us, we're like, wait a minute, no, we don't have that. So we'd have to go build it. So then we could go tell them that we had that. And, you know, so it just took forever. And now of course we're like, we've gone through all the audits and compliance. So we have the paper trail. We use a product uh, that we can just send them to and say, Hey, if you want to look at all of our documentation, our, our policies and our evidence that we've collected against those policies. Now we have a really nice system where all of that is housed and consumable. But the first time we did it, we had none of that. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, like, (laughs) (laughs) it was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I was like, "Mm, I think we do. And I'd go back and like, okay, Chris, we need to do this thing. (laughs) Right. So it was a, it was a fun, uh, fun experience. Those Uh couple of first, first customers are always like tough to implement. And I always like, my, I have the biggest appreciation and respect and just gratefulness for those first customers. Cause they're being so paid, you know, we're just this startup getting going yeah. and they almost have to teach us along the way. Like, no, 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 now you need to do this. And this is what we need next. And yes, you have to admire those customers because they take a chance, but they also are like a Guinea pig. Right. And they're teaching yeah. you as much as you're teaching them. Yeah. Well, and they do it because they know they're getting something that doesn't exist and it's going to give them a competitive advantage, right? So they, mm-hmm. they're winning too, right? They wouldn't do this. They're not doing this to be charitable by any right. means, right? right? They're also trying to win a race against their competitors. And what I love is that they see our product as being an important differentiator for them and is solving a really important problem for them. Right. So, you know, all of our customers are saying, hey, we know that um, people choose based on convenience and accessibility, and if we can be the most convenient and the most accessible, right, then they'll get to come in the door and see how great of a service we deliver once they're here. But if they can't even get in, how will they know that we have a great service, right? So we will right. lose them before we even got them if we can't be the best at answering their questions, supporting their service needs right out of the gate, and making sure they get in the door for that service or treatment that they're seeking in- instantly. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of things, the tax compliance audit scenario you were describing earlier, (laughs) security, security compliance. Where do you go and how do you do all that? Like I, if I would not know a thing about that. Okay. So fortunately now there's some really great products that uh, you can work with that will do that. So we've worked with a product called tugboat It essentially says, okay, I'm trying to get SOC 2 compliant, and it tells you all of the Mm -hmm. things that you need to do. We connect it into our systems, so it retrieves uh, essentially evidence that our product and our IT policies comply with those uh, requirements. Did Uh, you have to hire an outside 
person to help you with all this compliance? Or do you have someone on staff that does this? No, we do. We have a, a virtual CISO that uh, is okay. um, essentially like a, a fractional uh, executive within the yeah, company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yes, he's like his whole... Um, his whole Life existence is compliance and security. And so he, yeah. this is, he lives and breathes it. He knows all the nuance. He knows what things need to look like. And he's done this with, you know, dozens if not hundreds of other companies. And he understands like, what is the enterprise requirement for information security? And so yeah. he's been in a sense, like our guide through this process. And then we use these uh, software products that help kind of um, maintain an audit trail of everything that we're doing and then we also have third-party auditors that have to get hired to come in and verify that everything that we say we're doing is actually being done. Mm-hmm. And so that gives customers a sense of security, you know, a sense of comfort, right? That we're not just saying it, but somebody else who is um, right. kind of industry approved came in and agreed that what we said we do, we do. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's really fun. That, no. Yeah, right. It sounds... Uh, it does not sound like it's a, a walk in the park to me. It's not, I would say this is like probably my least favorite part of entrepreneurship. <laughs> yeah. This whole part that we're Sounds talking about dreadful, right now. Actually. <laughs> it's, it's the necessary, but uh, not fun part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what, as a co-founder, what role do you play within the organization? I'm the CEO of Bonco okay. AI. And so my job is primarily to set the direction of the business to Make sure that we have the right team in place to execute on all the different functions that we need to raise money for the company and to manage the finances of the business. I would say number one jobs, make sure we have cash in the bank so we could uh, right. <laughs> execute yeah. on the vision right that we have. If we don't have money, then it's really hard to do the things that we want to do. So I do spend a lot of my time talking to customers at, you know, in terms of getting uh, support from them so we can generate revenue, but then also talking to investors and making sure that we have um, supporters from that standpoint. So yeah. lots of time, I, I'm always toggling between investors and customers, it seems like, but uh, revenue is, of course, the best way to raise a, uh, to fund a company. And that's my favorite way to fund a company, but our dreams are very big. And so we do need some uh, VC funding as well. Yeah. When you were talking about your new, your first customers that were taking a chance, but also getting ahead, what are your thoughts on um, giving pilot programs as a startup, giving pilot programs to your first five or 10? Like when I was building my company, they wanted us to do pilot programs for finance fundraising purposes so we could prove that it worked and all that, you know, and that we could get buy-in. Did you guys have to do pilot programs or um, what are your thoughts on that? Really? I just would love like your thoughts. Well, we have done some pilot programs. It's not my favorite approach, yeah. but I have seen it work for some folks. It's useful at the beginning when maybe you don't, you're not sure. It's like during that um, product market fit seeking stage, sometimes they can be very helpful because it's a way to test assumptions. So we can experiment and test assumptions and see if the thing that we really think would happen will happen, right? Mm -hmm. So it's good for like an experimental stage. Um, But I also really believe in that pilots also have built into them a little bit of a a lack of confidence Mm -hmm. sometimes. So I would prefer to say, um, you know, rather than doing a pilot, let's have a, a proper agreement in place and just have an exit ramp to the agreement. Yeah. That's so good. that if for whatever reason, the customer just needs that security of, Oh, I can get off this train. If it's like not going in the direction I want it to go. Yeah. Um, that's what I, my personal preference is, but you know, I know there's a lot of companies that have done the freemium model where they give away their product for free and then they start charging you afterward. Um, so there's, again, it also depends on the type of customer that you're going yeah. after, what the implementation looks like. Um, there's a lot of variables. Yeah. Yes. So I would say it's very uh, situational in terms of yeah. how it, that can be successful or not. But for me, I would rather, uh, just because of the confidence that we have in our product and, and the delivery that we can um, provide in terms of success and ROI, right? If the the pilot is almost too small to deliver on the promise of what we can offer. 
So right. I much rather just prefer to do a full, full, full baked sized agreement. Yeah. And then uh, just talk about some potential off ramps if needed. Right. Yeah. And then I find that that creates a lot more confidence in the, on both sides in the success of the project and the implementation. Yeah. I think that's uh, a good thought in theory. So you said you have lofty goals. Uh, are you, do you have plans to, is it revenue driven, customer driven, or are you launching new products? Like what can we see from Botco in the future or another company personally? Like, (laughs) (laughs) sure. No, I mean, we really, in order to, um, really transform the industry the way we believe it, we want to see everybody adopting our product, right? So in order to do that, we have to have the the team in place to support our growth and expansion goals. And of course, we don't do it all overnight, but it means, for example, uh, one year over the next year, doubling and tripling the size of the business, meaning that we're able to acquire more customers, that we're able to support these customers successfully. And you know, doing that every year you know, takes a significant investment. Um, if we want to be growing at the, the you know, triple digits every year, uh, we are going to need to have support uh, for that financial financial investment to do that. Um, in terms of products that are coming out, actually, we've been uh, very, very bullish on generative AI and incorporating that into our product, which we actually started already evaluating these capabilities several years ago. And, and Chris, our CTO, Chris Maida, has been really amazing at keeping up to speed with everything. He was part of the early uh, days of AI and uh, at the MIT AI lab. And so he has over 20 years working in this space. And so he knows when he sees things like what's going to work, what's not, what we apply. And so um, some of the ways that we're using generative AI capabilities already inside our product are to better predict, for example, what questions people are going to ask so that we can have our domain models, which are proprietary to us, tuned to those questions almost ahead of time. And so that's, for example, one way that we use it. We find that um, it's a little risky still to try to use generative AI for the creation of the answers. It's still not hardened enough and it will just uh, be prone to hallucinations. It'll make up something if it doesn't know the answer. We don't want to do that. We work in high stakes industries uh, like in healthcare where that would just not be acceptable. And so we continue to use our own domain models that we have trained on our conversational transcripts and the, you know, more than 5 million interactions that we have delivered upon within our existing customers. That's our proprietary data set. And we use that to provide the responses that are appropriate. Uh, But generative AI is very helpful for uh, predicting the questions, for predicting the intentionality of what a question might be. Um, and so that's how we tend to use it. That's one example of how we might use it. Uh, so within our product, we've d- released, you know, a lot of new and exciting things. Like, for example, we um, recently expanded into supporting chat, automated AI chat over text. You know, people oh, wow. also want to continue. So they might start, they might initially engage on the website, but then perhaps they want to continue on on their personal device. And so um, SMS is a great way to do that. Yeah. And then we've incorporated a lot of new capabilities within our product just to be able to train and launch um, chatbots much faster. So we've been able to go from, you know, a couple of months that was initially what it would take us to go live to now down to just a couple of weeks. Oh, and that awesome. helps us. Yes. And that helps us to scale much faster. We can take on more customers that way. Our customers can also add new line, new service lines much more quickly or new capabilities uh, we've added new language support. So um, I'm from Costa Rica. One thing you and I didn't talk about is the fact that I'm actually from Latin America, which is where I grew up. So I have a, uh, I have a tendency to care a lot about multilingual and multicultural issues. And in healthcare especially, um, most of our customers tell us that Spanish is one of the predominant languages that their customers speak. And mm-hmm. so we have ensured that our product also is there with them supporting Spanish language and other languages too. We're getting requests for Vietnamese. We're getting requests, oh, wow. requests for Arabic. And so being able to support multiling- uh, multilingual, multicultural experiences as well is very important. So when did you move to the States? When I was in co- uh, undergrad. So 18. Uh, awesome. Is your well, family I, still I came Minnesota? for 18 and then came back, uh, you know, there were a little, there were like some back and forth there. I permanently moved here closer to 20. Mm-hmm. So is your family still in Costa Rica? 
I have family all over the world. So I have family in Costa Rica. <laughs> I have family where my mom is from, which is El Salvador. Um, I have family in many, many different places in the world. We're a very internationally uh, far-flung uh, group of folks. I love it. So for my trip next year to Costa Rica or this year, uh, I can ping you for some ideas and some places to go. Yes, yes. I'm a big fan. So, you know, we're going to get off topic here a little bit, but Costa oh, Rica fine. got a little bit overrun by the, I call it American tourism, you know, the Four Seasons type of places, which are beautiful and I'm sure you can enjoy them, but they don't, to me, represent truly what Costa Rica is. Mm -hmm. uh, so I can tell you maybe where to go that will be a little bit more off the beaten path yeah. and uh, authentic to the experience that I remember as a child. Uh, we really loved going up and uh, there's a lot of volcanoes. There's you know hundreds of volcanoes in, Co in Costa Rica. So the volcanoes, hiking a volcano, uh, I, I would recommend going to see some of the really beautiful wildlife and uh, nature that's there. They have a butterfly preserve that is fantastic if you go during a certain time of the year. There's some hidden beaches that are not the touristy beaches, but the more hidden ones that you yeah. might have to hike into or ride a right. horse into. Right. Those are the really great beaches. So I'll point out a few of those places where you can maybe break away from the, the tourists. Yeah, I would love it. So I have a travel agency as well on the side, and I just booked one oh. of my um, clients from Carbon 3 Recruiting. I just booked one of – she just went on a trip to Costa Rica with her family, and she, her and her husband said it was the best vacation they've ever been on, hands down. And one of my other clients, he married a woman that lives in Costa Rica, so now they live half in the Costa Rica and half in Chicago. So I'm learning. It feels like – the universe is telling me to go to Costa Rica because everything yeah. keeps going to Costa Rica, right? <laughs> it's great. It I think is. they did that butterfly thing because um, mm -hmm. they have kids and they thought it was amazing. Yeah, they mentioned that. That's cool. Yes, I'm so excited. I'm going to reach out. I love locals. I would rather do local stuff than touristy stuff. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, uh, have a wonderful trip. I'm sure you will love it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... When it comes to your legacy, I mean, did you always think you were going to be a founder um, of a company? I mean, did you have this in your mindset or what were your thoughts when you were, I mean, you've been in all kinds of different roles in different companies. So I don't know. What, what do you, how do you see that? How do you see your journey? No, absolutely. I mean, I didn't, I didn't graduate from college, even having an inkling that entrepreneurship would be part of my journey. Um, I was raised in a family where all of my older siblings had, you know, gone the Fortune 500 company route. So they've gotten jobs at big Fortune 500 companies. And that's just what I assumed that life was like, right? My older siblings had all done that. And so um, I, when, you know, these companies came on campus to college, uh, I went and, you know, signed up for the interviews and I went to work at Intel. So that was the company I chose. I, I knew I wanted to be in technology. That I did know. But I thought I would just work in big technology companies for a long time. And so I was at Intel for eight years uh, since the time I finished undergrad. And I was had an incredible experience there. They put me in this leadership program. They paid for me to get my MBA. They um, gave me exposure to all kinds of different um sides of the business. Mm -hmm. And so I got exposure to marketing. I got exposure to IT. I got exposure to product. I got exposure to strategy, um, global programming, yeah. uh, supply chain. I mean, they really did a good job, like giving me rotations in all of these different uh, functional areas of the business. So, um, loved my experience at Intel, but I think when I noticed that maybe I was done with it was, uh, I had just had my second child and at the time, you know, these companies were not super, it wasn't super user-friendly to be a, a young mom at these companies, right? The mother's room, there was a tiny little mother's room that was like 20 minutes walk from my desk and it was dark and ugly and it was just a bad experience. Like they weren't yeah. thinking about the return to work for, for moms and how to make that a little bit more user-friendly. <laughs> right. And I was like, oh, you have to do that again. And it's just like, ugh. You know, they just made it so uncomfortable. And um, so there were just some things about that. I was like, you know what? Maybe it's time to do something else. Like maybe I need to control my own destiny versus being stuck in that, you know, tiny little dark room in a corner closet that they created supposedly as the mother's room. 
And so um, I, uh, during my maternity leave, got a call from an old uh, college friend of mine who needed help implementing software at his company and needed help launching into a new market. And he just said, hey, I just feel like you're the only person I know that has enough of a varied experience to help us with all these different challenges we have. Uh, Would you be interested in coming to support us? And that was actually my first consulting gig that led to the creation of eventually Ideas Collide and uh, the first company. And then once I got a taste of what it was like to own your own business, to own your own destiny, to, you know, be my own boss, I was like, okay, I'm never working at a big company again. Like, that's the, <laughs> no, you I couldn't think, pay me enough to go think, work at a big company anymore. Right, right. Oh, I totally agree. <laughs> and I can feel you. I do think starting at a starting a career straight out of college in a larger company serves a lot of purposes and does a oh, lot yeah. of things. It gives you so much training that you could not get... Oh. Like, I can't imagine coming out of college. Now it's different because they have all these startup programs and sales programs. I'm like, they didn't have any of this when I went to school. But No. But, you know, you're in a startup, as you know, you're thrown in and you're wearing all these hats and you got to figure things out. But you also have to tend to the customers and you're doing everything, right? But I think exactly. I think you learned so much. You have such a great opportunity. I know most of my training came from a large company as well. And I'm forever grateful. I don't fit in that mold now and haven't for a while like yourself, but it's kind of like the foundation. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, if everybody always asks me, what's the one thing you learned at Intel? And I learned they just drill this into you. And it, well, into us, they drilled it in was this idea of scalability, right? Everything, the answer, the question for everything was, does it scale? Does it scale? Intel was like the absolute de- definition of scalability. You know, they created the way that they were successful with their manufacturing and fabrication of chips globally and that they dominated the world with, uh, was because of their ability to scale. They created this, like foot, this, um, basically, uh, a a blueprint for what a fab needed to look like. And that fab was exactly the same, whether you were in Malaysia, the Philippines, Arizona, Israel, it didn't matter, right? Every component down to the nanometer was exactly the same. And so what that created was consistency and the ability for, um, you know, supply chain and all of these different pieces that, you know, the thousands and thousands of things that have to come together to manufacture a chip had to be done with to nth perfection and uh, exactness across mm-hmm. the entire company. And so I was trained in thinking about scalability. So if I proposed an idea, if it was a program, a, a plan, a launch, everything had to scale. Well, this idea that you have in the United States, does it work in Europe? Does it work in Asia? Mm-hmm. Does it work in Latin America? Does it work for, across our global markets? And does it work everywhere? And so it really um, set me up, I think, for now working in software technology, always thinking, you know, at the beginning, we do things that are not scalable because we have to learn what needs to be done. But the question I always hear my brain asking me is, how does this scale? Yeah. How does this scale? And, and that was the lesson that I learned at Intel because I saw how important that was. And the only way that Intel preserved its domination was through that, you know, relentless focus on scalability. Right. It serves, it definitely serves you well in a startup environment, uh, especially in one that you're in now. Does your product mm-hmm. scale? Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you said that you went through a leadership program and I want to talk about how leadership, the skills, maybe the foundation that you learned there transitioned over to where you are now and how important is leadership in a startup? Because I think it's a component that gets missed Uh, talking about a lot until you get to a certain level or a certain size, if that makes sense. Because in the beginning, you know, everybody's just trying to get a product built and out, but you were talking about growing and growing your employees, et cetera. So talk to us about leadership, how important, what's, how you're able to grow your company. The last couple of years haven't have been a very unique environment as far as hiring goes. So what's been your strategy? Have you had any difficulties hiring in? um, Yeah. How do you lead a startup? Right. For me, um, leadership is about really 
helping people join the team, first of all, understand what they can do to be successful and then helping them just be successful, right? So understanding, for example, that I am never going to be the best at everything and I shouldn't be actually, that there are going to be people that we hire that are going to be experts in their particular area. And my job is just to allow them to flourish and to help them be uh, successful. And then to be, you know, I see myself as more as like glue in that process of making sure people are coordinating, making sure we're thinking about um, the tough questions, making sure that we are um, thinking about uh, consequences to our choices that we make and decisions that we make, but not necessarily making those decisions for those people, right? I'm not uh, equipped to make engineering decisions, right? But what I am equipped to do is to say, hey, uh, find the people who can make those decisions really well and go through a process of, you know, critical thinking to make sure we arrive at the best decision, but not necessarily, of course, be the subject matter expert in those things or try to even be, you know, I do have to understand a lot of things that are not part of my upbringing or my, you know, what I studied in college or anything like that, but mostly it's letting the experts be the experts and creating an environment where they can be successful. I mean, to me, that's really what, um, leadership is about and getting people excited about this vision that we have together getting people excited about solving problems. Uh, one of the things I spend a lot of time doing is um, talking about how our customers use our product and making sure that everybody understands why our product is so important. So for example, many of our customers are in behavioral health. They're drug and alcohol treatment centers that are using our chat service to help that person who at 10 o'clock at night is needing help. And if there's no phone that they can pick up necessarily at that time, sometimes to make an appointment for a care, you know, for care or for treatment, but they can go chat with the chat bot, find out if there's, if there's a service for their need, get their insurance verified instantly and have an appointment at the end of that conversation. And now they have hopefulness. They have, they know that there's an answer at the other side that's going to be there for them. And so if we don't talk about those things, if we don't say like, this is how our product is being used then people don't understand the meaning of what they're doing every day. It just looks like another ticket. It just looks like another uh, product request, right? But if they understand that I am helping a person here with seek treatment and change their life and not only their life, but their family's life too, then all of a sudden writing that line of code makes a difference. All Mm -hmm. of a sudden, you know, meeting that deadline matters, right? Because we're working for a bigger purpose than ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is the important thing that us as leaders need to be constantly keeping at the forefront is like, why are we even doing this? Right. Right. Why are we doing this? We're doing this because we're solving a problem. We're filling a need. And that need is really important. And it has a name. It's the name of that person who now got access to care through our product. And that is why we do this. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting. I love it. So the impact that people can have. That's great. Exactly. So what advice would you give to another startup founder or someone that's just starting out? Well, I would say, first of all, you need to be madly in love with the idea (laughs) that you have. You can't just be like slightly in love with it. You can't just be, oh, I think this is cool in love with it. You have to be heads over heels, bonkers in love with your idea. And the reason is because everything in the world will be thrown at you to stop you. Every hurdle, every grenade, (laughs) every challenge, every moment from the day, from the moment you wake up till you go to sleep, you're going to have challenges and problems trying to fulfill that. And so just a little bit of liking the idea isn't going to get you through it. So Mm -hmm. I always say, just, it almost has to be maniacal (laughs) because otherwise there's not enough energy and impetus to overcome the challenges that are going to come your way as an entrepreneur, because they will all show up. Every single thing will come and try to stop you from doing the thing that you want to do. And so it better be something that you just really, really care about because the, the over the hurdles that will have to be overcome are, will appear to be insurmountable, but when there is such a strong conviction and such a strong belief in that goal and in what you're trying to accomplish, then everything is achievable. Everything is overcomable. And so that's, it's a head game, right? And so I would just say, 
make sure you really love that because you are going to fight tooth and nail for this thing. So you better really, really love it. Yeah. Otherwise there's going to be no reason to do it. True. Good advice. And it is so true. Uh, yes. I understand. I can be empathetic (laughs) to that thought. (laughs) So where can people find you and what's the best way for companies to get in touch with Botco? So the best place is, of course, our website, botco.ai. We are also very active on LinkedIn. So you can look us up on LinkedIn. You can look myself up, Rebecca Clyde, on LinkedIn. I'm always very active there. So I love to comment and engage. Um, And of course, you can also email me, Rebecca at botco.ai. That's awesome. Well, we so appreciate your time today, and I'm very excited about the success of Botco, and uh, I definitely can see the value uh, that Botco.ai provides, and I know that you and your team are very strong, and so I am excited to see you all succeed. Uh, And how can we help you? How can we help you succeed? uh (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Brooke. It's been a pleasure being here with you on the Wild Feather podcast. I really appreciate what you're doing in terms of being able to inspire other entrepreneurs and get people excited because we have a lot of problems to solve here in the world and we need lots of folks uh, working on these exciting uh, products and solutions. And in terms of how you can help us, you know, I would just say, um, you know, one thing that's really important to me is supporting diverse entrepreneurs. And so I would love to see you continue that. You're already doing a good job with it. So I don't think you uh, are necessarily uh, lacking in any regard there. But, you know, I think it's something that we need to talk about, right? We have, um, we need to have a much more diverse lens on the world and on the problems that we're solving. And the more entrepreneurs we can support that come from all kinds of different backgrounds, the better I think the the products will be and the better the solutions will be. So that would be my personal ask. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And if I'm talking to any companies, uh, I would be happy to pass along Botco's. Uh, yes. If anyone uh, is needing, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If, you know, I'm here to help uh, businesses scale and to help them do a better job engaging with their customers and make sure that nobody goes without getting their question answered as soon as they need it. So please uh, pass us along. I'd be happy to help them with that problem. Right. That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and taking time out of your busy schedule. I I greatly appreciate it. And we look forward to uh, supporting and encouraging you as you continue this journey. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, subscribe to our channel, The Wild Feather. If you want to learn more about our guests or their products and companies, You can visit our website at thewildfeatherpodcast.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter to receive info on our upcoming episodes. Follow us on social media to get the latest deets. We're on all of them, so pick your favorite and follow us. And if you're a founder and need funding or accelerator info or business resources, you can go to our website, thewildfeatherpodcast.com and find some valuable information and resources there. No matter if you're a founder, your investor, or what your path is, just remember you were born with wings. <laughs> <laughs>